Okay, uh, welcome once again to another Throttle Up Radio Show and Podcast, and I am your host, Captain Kevin Smith, and I am glad to be here for the start of another year. This is the first show, the first show of 2023, Uh, and we're we're pretty excited about... uh, this um, episode, we're pretty excited about this radio show and podcast. All right, so before we start off with this uh, first show of 2023, I want to do a few administrative things as we begin each uh, radio show and podcast. Now, we are a, a radio show on Red State Talk Radio on the weekends, both channels, both days you can go to the station for the exact time and it's listed as eastern standard or eastern daylight whatever uh and you can adjust that for your time zone also we have a new book out which is called the sonic warrior chronicles of a top gun pioneer Uh, obviously we recommend reading that book it's a great book it relates a lot to what we are talking about and have talked about on this radio show and podcast as well. So they all kind of tie together into one big package. And also, the Sonic Warrior is available in audiobook format as well. It, that's actually a great a great way to listen to the book uh, as well. Also, Throttle Up! A podcast is now available on a lot of podcast platforms. Uh, Castbox is one of them. Podbean is another one, and uh, and th- and there's a few more. And I'll I'll get the full list uh, uh, on the next show, hopefully, if I can remember to do that. Also, that's a good way to listen to the podcast. You can do that in segments as well. Uh, you, and because it, the, these platforms remember where you are or where, where you have left off, and you can go from there. Okay, so let's start off this new radio, uh, new year's radio show. Hope everyone had a great Christmas and a happy new year. And uh, we have on this end, my wife and I have. Also had a great Christmas and a Happy New Year. And wishing everyone a great 2023. Let's start the show off with a cute question. And we typically do that from my uh, great audio engineer. Uh, She is um, really quite good with these questions. And it gets me thinking pretty intently about uh well lots of things and so we'll start off this uh this new show for the new year with this question so like you've said kevin uh this is the first throttle up radio show and podcast of 2023 2023 is arguably the year of change Exactly 60 years ago, also, in 1963, everything for you changed. Could you tell us about this? And also, what do you think is our future as a nation um, at this start of 2023? Okay, yes. Uh, Another great question. And this requires a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of thinking and a lot of uh, going back and trying to understand uh, things from from the, the perspective of where I am now, which is hopefully I have more insight into uh, worldly affairs than I did back then. But 20, uh, I'm sorry, in 1963 was a year of change for me. Everything changed completely. I was uh, thrust into a reality that was fundamentally inconceivable to most people, certainly was inconceivable to me. 
and it was a a period of time of of great change for this nation, rapid advancements across the board, and all kinds of things were emerging, becoming true, becoming real that we had no idea about. Lots of new things developed and emerged during that period of time. Okay, so what changed for me? In 1963 was the year that I entered the Navy or began my naval service, 1963. So I had recently graduated from college, from university, with a university degree in engineering with a minor in mathematics, and I went right into the uh, Naval Aviation Program. In other words, uh, the recruiters recruited me right out of college to enter the uh, enter Naval Service as a prospective or as a student Naval Aviator. To begin that period, I had to go through Aviation Officer Candidate School. That happened to last about three months. Uh, grueling is an understatement for for that school, uh, and I'm not complaining, but boy, it was something that was way, way outside of my ability to comprehend uh, and yet I was there. I was there, and I was expected to perform in ways that I couldn't even possibly imagine that anyone could do such a thing, let alone me. And I went through all kinds of challenges and came out uh, successful. So... I entered the Naval Air Academy. Now, it goes by a number of names, and I'm not exactly sure why, but you know, but it, it kind of does. We kind of we as a as a member of this uh, training program called it the Navy Flight Training. It's kind of an understatement. It was in fact academy level training, all kinds of things. We had academic training. We had uh, physical fitness training and performance. Uh, we had to perform physically at a very, very high level. Uh, we had survival training. We had escape and evasion training. We had training in navigation. We had training in celestial navigation, if you can believe it. Yes, we did. Uh, we had training in all kinds of things, and of course, we had flight training. Flight training went through a number of key phases. We had uh, basic flight training where we uh, learned to fly and learned to solo. All right, so we learned how to fly propeller driven airplanes, these are a light propeller-driven airplanes, two-seat airplanes with a pilot and an instructor. Uh, the airplane happened to be a T-34, and it was uh, this, this version was an earlier version, so it was powered by a piston engine. So we went through uh, basic flight training and learned the basics, and then we went through intermediate flight training where we got to fly our first jet airplane, that airplane happened to be the T-2 Buckeye, and then we went from there to advanced flight training, and we got to fly a swept-wing jet airplane, albeit subsonic. That happened to be, when I was going through, that happened to be the F-9 Cougar, and Finally, we wind up, some of us wound up in the supersonic pipeline because supersonic flight was new at that time. And I went through uh, the advanced uh, supersonic 
training as well in that particular airplane we flew was the F-11 Tiger that happened to be the world's first supersonic airplane no kidding that is correct I flew the world's first supersonic airplane in all kinds of exercises if you will uh, not least of which was uh, live fire training exercises in which we actually uh, flew at speeds exceeding the speed of sound. Yes, we had supersonic live fire training exercises in the F-11 Tiger. Now, why were we doing that? We were doing that because supersonic flight was new. It was uh, extremely important from a national defense standpoint. Our airplanes had to be as good or better than any of our potential adversary uh, adversaries' airplanes. Okay, and it, ultimately they were. They were uh, always. Uh, they were actually always better, as it turns out. But we had to be able to match or exceed the performance capabilities of uh, all of our potential enemies out there. And that is one of the uh, great challenges that we had. What was everything about my life changed in 19, beginning in 1963? Every single thing. Uh, the way I uh, understood the world the way I understood humanity changed completely. The way I understood national defense changed completely. The way I thought changed completely. I entered, or or just before I entered this arena, uh, it was my... I guess you could say it was my opinion or it was my belief at the time that kind of thinking kind of came naturally to humans. It was a natural thing, kind of like breathing. We don't really think too much about breathing. We can think about breathing, but a lot of times we don't. That's automatic. We don't think about our heartbeat. That's kind of automatic. We don't think about our body temperatures that's kind of like an automatic and we think that thinking is kind of like automatic and it just automatically happens and that might have been something that I sort of believed in but that relating to the cognitive capabilities of humans and especially my ability to think turned out to be completely wrong so I had to go back and learn how to think and learn how to think in ways in which I could achieve mission success against a committed adversary. Okay. What was I trying to do? Essentially, I was engaged in what could be described as achieving mission success in a high-velocity world. Now, we talked about this early on some of the earlier shows a few weeks ago. We began to address ourselves to this issue. And I'll say it again for emphasis. Um, achieve mission success in a high-velocity world. Okay, now, <clears throat> what exactly is that? What is that is that humans had never been there before. Now, if we kind of look at the velocity continuum for human beings in terms of what humans have been able to achieve, we can begin with the ox cart or the horse and buggy and go from there. Uh, at some point in time, under steam power and railroad technology, 
humans were able to travel at speeds uh, somewhere around 80 miles per hour. Uh, that was pretty remarkable. When did this happen? Uh, it, it was in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Humans were under uh, utilizing steam power or the steam locomotive. Humans were able to achieve speeds upwards of about 80 miles per hour. And then aviation was invented somewhere in the early part of the 1900s. Okay, the Wright brothers, of course, and all of that. So aviation was invented. Aviation took on a military role uh, almost right away. It turned out that aviation was used as a reconnaissance uh, vehicle, if you will, first and foremost, and then it became uh, a combat vehicle shortly after that during the what we would call uh, the World War One era. So aviation uh, became uh, part of the uh, military establishment. <clears throat> and then it took off. Aviation advanced. The, really, the, the advancement of uh, aviation was nothing short of remarkable. We kind of take those things for granted today, which is, uh, I think, which is unfortunate. Uh, there, there was a there was a period of time where innovations were occurring on a regular basis, almost daily. We had all kinds of things that were being thought of, that were being put into operation, that were being designed. There was a lot of attention to design, and we call it now today design thinking, although I think probably probably the Wright brothers were the grandfathers of design thinking. I'm not sure that they have received the right recognition. Uh, nevertheless, there was a lot of great thinkers out there. Most of them uh, were American. There were also British and French great thinkers in the era, area of and the era of aviation. Lots and lots of things were created and invented. Uh, and naval aviation went through... Uh, a period of rapid change, rapid growth, and significant performance enhancements along the way. All during that period of time, and, and this is probably important to really understand, but all during that period of time, there was a, were a lot of people who thought that uh, naval aviation was a uh, interesting curiosity, but it wasn't going to progress beyond uh, where it was in its early stages, and it wasn't going to progress beyond uh, the um, piston era or the biplane era or uh, you name it. It was all kinds of uh, predictions that it could not uh, go beyond the uh, the propeller era, uh, and naval aviation was not going to uh, be able to advance into the jet era, uh, and as a result, it was going to become uh, would take the a, a back back seat to. Uh, to a lot of the um, uh, land-based aviation uh, organizations and and uh, capabilities, uh, not least of which was the uh, the uh, uh, large bombing, large bombers, and and the B-29s, and you know, and, and the B-36s and stuff like that. Okay, so 
there was a lot of ch- challenges there in, in a lot of naysayers, and a lot of people were saying that, well, it, naval aviation was not going to ex- uh, last very long. It did have a considerable impact on the outcome of World War II in the Pacific. In fact, if it wasn't for naval aviation, we would not have been successful, period. All right, so it did prove its worth. However, those were subsonic propeller-driven airplanes. Uh, there, to to uh, to give you a, an idea of what they were, uh, the F4U Corsair was one of them. Uh, that was a fighter bomber. There was the uh, uh, the F6F. Uh, I think that was the Grumman Bearcat. Uh, there was a Wildcat, and then there was a Bearcat. I think the F-4F F was the Wildcat, and I think the F-6F was the Bearcat. Uh, F-8F was the Hellcat. Okay, these were all propeller-driven, uh, single-seat, single-engine, propeller-reciprocating-engine, uh, propeller-driven aircraft. Uh, they came out of World War II. And they were successful, and then the Navy was transitioning or attempting to transition to uh, jet airplanes, which they actually did. All right, so the Navy did transition to jet airplanes somewhere uh, uh, soon after World War II. Uh, These were straight-wing subsonic jet airplanes that were landing and taking off from aircraft carriers that were built during or shortly after World War II. Okay. So we had lots of aircraft carriers that could accommodate piston-driven straight-wing subsonic airplanes and straight-wing uh, jet airplanes, albeit subsonic, we had those. Okay, and then the Navy had to get into higher velocities. Okay, so uh, velocity ruled. Velocity was king. Okay, so when when I entered. Naval aviation, velocity was the driving force. That was the number one objective. How fast could you go? And velocity was key. In order to achieve higher velocities, we had to invent the swept wing airplane, which we did. Actually, if you look at it historically, the swept-wing airplane was, in fact, invented during the latter stages of World War II, and it was, in fact, utilized by the German Air Force for a very limited period of time. So, swept-wing was recently invented. It wasn't very popular initially, and then it be became popular after a while. So we could say that humans had to invent the swept wing airplane to increase its velocity, which in fact was done. It was done fairly successfully, not without some uh, difficulties as you would expect. So velocity was king. Velocity was the thing that we were pursuing. In the Top Gun 1 movie, the need for speed was mentioned a couple of times in that movie. Clearly, this was the time where the need for speed was first and foremost in everybody's mind. And that's the period of time in which I entered the uh, uh, naval aviation as a Navy fighter pilot is during that period of time in which the need for speed was number one objective. Velocity was king. Okay, how fast could we go? Well, 
we actually didn't know. Humans didn't know. We as a country didn't know until 1947 when Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier. We didn't know if humans could travel faster than the speed of sound. We kind of thought that humans were going to be limited by what was called the speed barrier or the sound barrier. This was a barrier that existed in which a lot of people thought that uh, uh, aircraft could not go any faster than the speed of sound. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Chuck Yeager and what soon became known as NASA, they teamed up with industry and created these uh, airborne rocket-propelled vehicles that were dropped from motherships, and they were able to actually exceed the speed of sound under controlled conditions. That's what happened back then. Soon after that, and this was in the early 1950s, uh, to put a date on it, we're going to be looking at somewhere in the vicinity of about 1952, okay? Uh, it could be a little bit uh, variable, but not earlier than 1952. So some sometime around 52, 1954-ish, um, industry started to come up with some design proposals and prototype airplanes. One of these design proposals slash prototype airplanes was the F-11 Tiger. The F-11 Tiger was, in fact, the first supersonic airplane. It happened to be a fighter, so it ushered in the sonic warfare era. And the pilots that flew that airplane are called sonic warriors, at least to the extent that I have defined them as such. So you could say that, have you come up with a new definition, Kevin? Yeah, I can say, okay, probably is true, but that's all right. That's all right. And, 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 and why are we talking about it? Well, that's the whole point of of uh, Throttle Up Radio anyways, to, is to think and, and act and uh, behave outside the box anyway. All right, so we are out-of-the-box thinkers. Is Sonic Warfare something that I came up with? Yeah, probably is true, and that's okay, all right? So there is, in fact, a, 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 a warfare specialty and a discipline, and the vehicles and the training all relating to be a, being able to to uh, uh, perform or conduct high velocity combat operations in an airborne battle space. Okay, we call that sonic warfare, and we call those po- pilots that do that uh, sonic warriors. They are also known by a number of other terms, Top Gun being one of them, Fighter Pilot being another. Uh, so there are a number of terms floating around there. Nothing is very specific, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, Top Gun seems to be well-recognized, although I don't think a lot of people understand what that actually means. Sonic Warrior is not quite as well known, but it is becoming more recognizable across the board. Sonic Warfare, uh, which is the same thing as high-velocity aerial combat, uh, that's starting to catch on as well. Okay, so this is a new warfare specialty. These are new uh, warriors. This is a new warrior class. All right, and all of that occurred during this period of time that I'm talking about. So I was thrust into a brand new world. What what 
what was actually true was that that I entered into a new intellectual frontier where almost nothing was known. Almost nothing was known about it. Uh, there was very, very little that was known about how one should perform, how one should operate in a high-velocity world. Uh, and so we had to create the, the knowledge base. We had to develop the understanding of how to perform well, how to perform and achieve mission success in a high-velocity world. Is that knowledge that we gained from that experience, is that useful in other domains? Okay, that's the big question here, and that's the critical question before us. That is the big question as we begin to, as we begin 2023, as we begin this year, why do I think this is a year of change? I think that 2023 is, in fact, the beginning point or the start point of an era of change. I think 2023 will go down in history as a year in which things dramatically changed. Why is that? Well, for for a number of reasons. Number one is that I think we have reached a breaking point now. Okay, I think the 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 world and particularly this country is ready. Uh, no longer can we sweep our problems under the rug. We have to address them head on with maturity and with conviction and with trust in the Almighty that we are will be able to succeed and to eradicate uh, evil from this world. Of course, I believe that, okay? I believe that it is time for us, and I believe that we can look at the lessons that have been learned and start applying those. This is not the first time in which uh, a grand vision was created out of necessity what is our grand vision back when i was young the grand vision was sonic warfare the grand vision was be able to de defeat a enemy or enemy forces in aerial combat flying at speeds that exceeded the speed of sound sonic warfare all right, that was the grand vision. Did we achieve that? Yes, we did. Were we able to take this type of warfare and employ it in a aircraft carrier environment? Yes, we were successful in doing that. We were. Okay. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to end this show with a section uh, this is an audio section of a video that we have produced and the name of the video is called the truth algorithm and the reason why we're going to end this show is because this is the era this is the this is the 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 year in which uh, truth will prevail and the reason why we're saying that is because 2023 in our view is in fact the year of change and that's where truth uh, takes the center stage we are tired of the lies and this is when truth will prevail It is very much like what happened when we first encountered the challenge of supersonic flight this is our sonic challenge in a in a sense this is our challenge today is to make sure that truth will prevail and we are going to shut down and stop all of the lines so let's go ahead and play this audio clip 
it's about what is it about 15 minutes long right is that right 14, 14 minutes long and then we're going to play this this is from our video called the truth the algorithm which you can find on the critical decision making complex problem solving uh, YouTube channel you can find it highly recommend that but let's go ahead and play this segment because this is important as we go forward and it's important we start 2023 off considering this aspect of reality let's go ahead and play it we're going to be diving into this whole idea of the truth algorithm what is it why do we need it and how do we get it the truth algorithm is a um, uh, it is a analytic process if you will we could also consider it to be a thing a standalone item uh, one of the tools in our tool set as we uh, use that in our efforts to think critically and to solve complex problems the truth algorithm is going to help us in a rather substantial and important way to determine if an assertion or proposition that claims to be true is in fact true or it is not true which is also termed a lie. Now, why do we want to do this? This is a one way that we can uh, pursue um, the wisdom, to acquire wisdom in our lives, to uh, work toward acquiring wisdom. And the way we're going to do that, we're going to do uh, certain things that are not uh, normal uh, in the in the uh, <clears throat> normal sense of the word, and also not conventional. We are going to be outside the box. We are going to employ critical thinking in a substantial way, and we're also going to be open to new ideas as we examine this whole area that we will be discussing. One of the most important things that we're going to be uh, emphasizing today is to view reality in a certain way. Uh, typically, uh, we can say that uh, a fair number of people view reality as a formless collection of data surrounding random events and as Dietrich Dorner has pointed out in his book, The Logic of Failure, this will almost always lead to failure. And so we're not going to be doing that. We're going to be looking at reality differently. Now, okay, so let me uh, start off this discussion here by... Um, clarifying certain things and to establish a, uh, a, f a foundation by which we can uh, examine this whole area of truth, uh, things that are not true, this whole issue related to propaganda and official lying. Okay, the truth algorithm, what is it? All right, the truth, we're going to say uh, the, the truth algorithm uh, addresses itself to what is in fact true or the truth. The truth is an objective, identifiable construct that functions as a meaningful aspect of that which is real. The truth resides within a quantum field of reality in which corresponding and related elements of that which is true interact with one another to produce a neural network in which knowledge and wisdom emerges. Critical thinking helps us clarify that which is actual or true, 
without which we are left adrift in a sea of the unknown. Importantly, when countering situations in which can best be described as hostile to reason, as a result of an ongoing information warfare campaign, a more robust weapon of choice is, in fact, necessary. Such a weapon is the truth algorithm. The truth algorithm. Now, here's a good definition of what it is. The truth algorithm is a decision aid whose purpose is to enable one to determine with a high degree of confidence if an assertion or proposition that claims to be true is either true or not true. The truth algorithm is most useful when one finds oneself in a hostile environment, that is, in an environment that is hostile to reason. The truth algorithm employs an analytic process along with critical thinking and higher-order reasoning to arrive at a conclusion concerning the claim regarding the assertion or proposition, the claim that it is true. The truth algorithm, what is it? It enables one to actively engage and defeat the propaganda machine by employing algorithmic reasoning robust enough to function under conditions of deception. The truth algorithm defeats those engaged in information warfare against us by employing quantification metrics in which a reliable distinction can be made between that which is true and that which is not true. Okay, the problem space. This is the problem that we are all facing. The mind of society is now the new battlefield in the current global struggle for geopolitical domination. And this comes from Richard Theme. Information warfare is underway and is being used to gain control of the mind of society. The mind space is the battleground where warfare is being waged in order for action to take place against such hostilities, hostilities rather, battle space awareness is essential. Now, hostile agents have entered the battle space employing cognitive mechanisms designed to enhance the plausibility of a proposition that is unsupported by that which is actually true. And thus, it is objectively a lie, yet is masquerading as the truth. Recognizing this cognitive trickery is important. Yet, the ultimate solution is a massive effort that employs, that empowers one to reliably distinguish truth from lies by employing critical thinking and the truth algorithm. The truth algorithm is, in fact, a robust decision aid that helps us in this process. Keep in mind that we are engaged in information warfare and the minds of society is the new battle space. Our weapon of choice. Now we can choose to be passive or be active. I choose to be active, and if I'm going to be active, I want to be effective and not spin my wheels. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to employ the truth algorithm whenever I encounter 
these massive efforts at deception. And the problem statement, again, that we are addressing here in this series of videos, as well as what we are addressing in the real world. We live in a world in which truth is a rare commodity. Things that are not true are being presented as being true, producing defects in human consciousness. When government officials, leaders, and experts are engaged in systematic lying that we can either cower in place or we can fight back with the truth algorithm. That is our choice. Definition here of what is true. What is the truth? The truth is a natural, legitimate, and enduring construct which resides within a model of reality reflecting that which is real, actual, and objectively exists. The truth needs no artificial support and exists entirely on its own. The truth is that which endures. And now we are faced with the truth versus the lie. And our efforts to make a clear distinction between the two. What is a lie? Often called the big lie. A lie is an artificial construct intended to deceive. A lie cannot endure on its own because it does not actually exist. In order for a lie to persist, it must be believed to be true by many. Otherwise, it will evaporate into nothingness. The big lie, which has often been used, make the lie big, make it simple, and keep saying it, and eventually they will believe it. So keep in mind, that's what we are confronting in this information warfare battle that we face. This is important, and keep this in mind. The model of reality, what is the model of reality? There are boundary conditions around what th that which is real. And we have to be very um, methodic and very exact in our construction of the model of reality. The model of reality contains that which is true, that which is actual, that which is real. That which is not true does not fit within the model of reality. Now, you notice in the graphic there is some overlap, and that's intentional because there are such things as half-truths. All right, But basically, our model of reality contains only that which is true, verifiably true, justifiably true. Otherwise, it doesn't fit within our model of reality. Now, we may consider it because of certain things related to uncertainty, for sure. But we have to have some kind of model of reality going for us if we're going to make any progress in the world. Okay, so that brings us to the truth algorithm. Now, in this section here, we're going to be talking about the truth. Okay, so that, that completes that section of the uh, truth algorithm. Uh, it's actually a video that you can find on YouTube called, in the YouTube channel is the Critical Decision-Making Complex Problem-Solving YouTube channel. It's one of our channels that we use for various reasons, uh, and you can find it there. 
Uh, not sure does it show up on the Throttle Up Radio uh, uh, website. I'm asking my audio engineer, and and it, the question is now we don't we actually don't know. We'll we'll try to we'll try to fix that one. Anyway, 2023 is uh, the year in which truth emerges. I entered uh, an era in 1963, 60 years ago, I entered a world that most people didn't even know existed. Okay, and so I'm kind of like been there, done that. We are now entering an era, we're entering a world, in my view, that humans have never been before. And that is the era in which truth emerges. Uh, The lies fall away. They fall by the wayside. Uh, This is a new beginning, in my view. Uh, This is the reason why we are here. This is the reason why we have chosen to be here at this place and time in human history. And so we can say with confidence that if we were able to enter a brand new world 60 years ago and be successful, we can enter this brand new world and be successful uh, and create Uh, a situation in which we can succeed and we can achieve mission success just like we were able to do 60 years ago when the world was confronted with brand new things, new challenges uh, that had never been uh, experience before this is a new challenge for all of us that we have never experienced before which is uh, which is how do we get back to a world in which truth prevails okay another throttle up radio show thank you for listening and we will see you all next week <laughs>